choir, praise team, thank you media team in the back, appreciate them week after week, don't mention them enough, but thank you for uh, the work that you do and troubleshooting that you had to do this morning, we appreciate that. Let me just give you a note or two on next Sunday, next Sunday, last Sunday we had our children leading in worship and they spent some time leading in worship next Sunday the end of the summer, towards the end of the summer, we always try to have these two special weeks, one where the children lead in worship and one where our student ministry, our teenagers lead in worship. That's next Sunday. So next Sunday, as we gather together on the 25th, our students are going to be leading in the early service and also at 11 o'clock. I want to encourage you to be here to support and encourage them. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to what they have to share with us, leading in worship, and as they speak and share together next Sunday. So Keep that in mind. Also, this shameless plug, too, as we fall into, as we move into the fall season, on Wednesday nights, on Wednesday nights, our choir uh, picks back up, and yeah, they're actually going to be start looking, start rehearsing some Christmas music pretty soon, preparing. It takes a little time to prepare that, but also preparing for um, leading in worship. So if you've ever had a thought of joining in with the choir, we'd love to have you come join and help us lead in our worship services here at Newbridge Baptist Church. Uh, we have resisted the urge. We have resisted this movement that's happened with a lot of churches today, moving away from a choir and moving to a praise band and praise team-driven ministry and eliminating choir because we just feel like everybody ought to have the opportunity to use their gift, use their voice in, in praising the Lord. And so uh, if you would like to use your gift, it does not have to be something where you are formally trained. You don't even have to know how to read music. We'd encourage you to come if you'd like to join the choir. It's a good time to start here in the next couple of weeks. The choir will start up again after the 1st of September. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philemon. We're finishing this sermon series, One Chapter Wonders. During the summer, we've been looking at these five books out of Scripture that we don't often look at that are only one chapter long. We looked at the one book out of the Old Testament, Obadiah, and we've looked at three of the four in the New Testament. Uh, we've looked at 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Jude. We're looking today at the book of Philemon. If you're not sure where the book of Philemon is, you can either look in the table of contents. Most Bibles have a table of contents in the front. But if you're looking towards the end of the New Testament, right before the book of Hebrews, there is this one chapter book that Paul writes to Philemon, and that's where we're going to read from today, Philemon. Now, there are a couple of different themes that are woven throughout this book that are in this brief, this small writing that Paul does. This is the shortest of the letters that Paul writes. He writes letters to the church in Rome, multiple chapters, the church in Corinth, and it wasn't enough to just write one. The Holy Spirit led him to write two. He wrote Six chapters to Timothy, and then another or three or four again. And Second Timothy to the church in Thessalonica, he wrote two letters, uh, Colossae, Philippi, Ephesus, in the region of Galatia, he wrote letters to them. He wrote many of these books that you have in the New Testament. This particular book that is written by Paul is the only book that Paul writes, it's the only one that Paul includes in Scripture, that is a specific letter to an individual 
and not to an individual and their church or to a church as a whole. For instance, when Paul writes to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, but he's also writing to the church that Timothy is pastoring. When he writes to Titus, he's writing to Titus, but he's also writing to the church that Titus is pastoring. This is a little different. We're going to look in Philemon today, and there are a couple of themes that are woven here throughout this book. Now, um, just as we've done with each of these books, these short books that we've looked at, we want to lay a little bit of background information down, a little foundation for this book that we're going to be looking at. Paul is the author. This is that New Testament writer whose name was Saul, persecuted the church in the book of Acts, but he had that conversion experience on the road to Damascus. The Lord appeared to him, and his heart was changed. The scales fell away from his eyes. That Paul. He has been on several different missionary journeys. In the back of your Bible, after the book of Revelation, many of you may have, if you have any kind of study Bible, you may have maps, and it'll list his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey his third missionary journey, and then even a fourth missionary journey, which is really just his captivity where he's taken to Rome, and that's where his life ends. This, this Paul, he writes this brief book, and he writes it around A.D. 61. Now, we know it's around A.D. 61. This is probably one of the very last books that the Apostle Paul writes. He writes it from his captivity in Rome. He's already been condemned to die. He is under house arrest there in Rome. He's awaiting his sentencing, his death date, when his execution will take place. And he writes this letter along with a couple of others. These are his prison letters where he writes from Rome. And this is probably one of the last ones that he writes. And it's a personal plea. In this 25 verse 1 chapter book, there are three people that are mentioned in particular. There's that Apostle Paul, but there's also this guy Philemon who the letter is written to. That's who this book is named after. Now, if you're not sure who Philemon is, there's a little background. I actually brought a study Bible with me today rather than writing all this out. Just wanted to give you a little background about who this guy Philemon was. Philemon actually was um, uh, a person who owned slaves. He was a slave owner, but he was also a person who had a church in his home. He was a person that the Apostle Paul had led to Christ in his, one of his missionary journeys, probably his third missionary journey, as he traveled through the city of Ephesus. Philemon there was converted by the preaching of Paul. The Holy Spirit spoke to his heart. He placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But like many people in that day, in that society, he owned slaves. Now, I said there are several themes that wind through the book of Philemon. One of those has to deal with slavery. That has been an incredibly hot-button issue in our culture for years, but has popped up again today with slavery reparations and all of those things that we ought to be doing for those who have been enslaved previously, regardless of what your opinion is on this. The Bible does speak to this issue of slavery, but here in this society, the speaking, the message that goes to those in that particular culture in regard to slavery was this. When you see someone for who they are as the human being that they are, as the person who is made in the image of God, and they are transformed by the power of God, just as you are transformed by the power of God, how can you continue to own a human being who is made in the image of God? That's part of the message here from this short book of Philemon. But that's not the primary message, in my opinion. Also here in this book of Philemon, Philemon, who is a slave owner, and during that time, 
In fact, there was a, the writer, the historian Josephus, supposed that at one point in time in the Roman Empire, there were more people who were owned slaves than there were free those who owned slaves. Now think about that for just a moment. In the entire Roman world, there were more people who were owned as slaves than there were free. And so this was an issue that covered most of the Roman kingdom, but the way that Paul addressed that was through this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Onesimus was one of Philemon's slaves, and he'd escaped from Philemon's household, and he had stolen several things from Philemon. And in that day, it was such that slaves who were runaways, especially slaves that would steal, that would break the law as they were running away, they had zero rights and they could be executed. They could be executed on the spot if they were found. And so Onesimus is fleeing for his life at this point in time. And while he is fleeing, he is captured again and he comes to salvation through the preaching of Paul, through the teaching of Paul, while he's in captivity in Rome. And while Onesimus's life is changed and transformed by the power of God, which is another theme in this book, that anyone, regardless of who you think they might be, how bad you might think that they might be, anyone can be transformed by the power of Christ. As Paul pleads on his behalf to Philemon, we see that there is a theme and a message that the Lord wants us to understand today. Now, I've entitled this sermon, Doing the Right Thing for the Right Reasons. Because when I look at the book of Philemon, these 25 verses, I see that there is a, there is a theme that rises to the top here that actually really applies to the church today. It applies to all of us. You've probably heard the statement before, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, Right? doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. When it comes around to your anniversary time and um, you are celebrating your anniversary and you go by and you get some flowers from Kroger or Lidl, you know, those high-priced roses that they have in the display there, and you take them home because you don't want to make your wife mad by not bringing flowers to her, you are doing the right thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. We should be bringing flowers because we want to brighten our spouse's day, because we want to affirm that we love them instead of doing it out of fear, right? You could do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Conversely, there are times that we do the wrong thing for the right reasons. Our motivation may be good, but the thing that we do may be wrong. Well, today we want to focus on doing the right thing for the right reasons. And in particular, we're going to look at this verse out of Philemon. It says, though I might command you, Paul says, though I might command you to do this very thing, though I might command you to take this step, I'm not going to. For love's sake, I am a appealing to you to do the right thing for the right reason. Well, let's read here in Philemon. It's 25 verses long. We're actually going to read it all. It's broken down into a couple of different little sections here. The first section is kind of a greeting that comes from Paul, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, 
our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Now, Aphia is the wife of Philemon. Archippus is the son of Philemon, and they have a church in their house that meets there. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just an introduction of the letter. Paul says, verse 4, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love and your faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. When I think of you, I just have happy thoughts. And I thank God for you. Verse 6, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. It's just kind of an opening statement. He remembers Philemon. He remembers him fondly, all the things that the Lord's doing in his life. But then he gets to the meat of this letter that he's sending to him. Verse 8, for this reason, because I see how God's working in your life, for this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ, though I could command you to do what is right, verse 9, I appeal instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, as an elder to you, and now now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, whom I fathered while in chains. Now he's talking about his spiritual child, his son in the faith, Onesimus. Interesting here that Onesimus, the name Onesimus, literally translated means useful. Useful is his name. And Paul says, once, verse 11, he was useless to you. He was a slave who abandoned you. He was a slave who ran away. He was a slave who mistreated you. He stole from you. We know that he did the wrong thing. He was useless to you. But now he is Onesimus to both you and me. He is useful to both you and me. I'm sending him a part of myself back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. This is especially so to me, but even more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self. Yes, brother? May I have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I hope that through your prayers I will be able to come to you. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I want to talk to you today about doing the right thing For the right reasons. Now, those who do the right thing for the right reasons, those who do the right thing for the right reasons have some priorities in place. There's a reason why they do the right thing and why they do it for the right reasons. There are some priorities that are in place in their life, and we see those outlined here in this brief letter that Paul writes to Philemon. 
Five things in particular, five priorities that everybody who does the right thing for the right reason that they have in place. And the first one is this, the priority of love. They have love as a motivating factor in their lives. Verse 9 says, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. Finally, man, I could tell you, you know that I came, you know that I preached, you wouldn't have heard of the gospel unless I preached, unless I had preached it to you, unless I proclaimed this to you, and, and I love you, but I could command you to do this. I'm a father in the faith. I have enough, enough influence. You know that I could put the pressure on you. I could make you feel so ashamed for not doing this, but I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I want to appeal to you because I care about you. I love you. The priority of those who do the right thing for the right reasons begin with a basis of love. It means that we have to love. We have to have people in our lives that we really love. Speaking of love, have I shown you a picture of my grandbaby yet? (laughs) I I know that's shameless in the captive audience. It's all right. I can get away with it. We're not talking about loving those that we have a connection with and have a reason for loving. Doing the right thing for the right reasons means that I love not just those that I know will love me in return, those that I know that I get to spoil, those in my family, those in my friend, who are my friends, those who are my coworkers who I know that they'll give me something back. We're not talking about love that gets something in return. In fact, what we see here in this particular situation between Philemon and Onesimus is this. Paul is encouraging Philemon. He says, I love you and I'm asking this as an appeal for love. I know that the Lord has been working in your heart and you have the love of Christ in you and so I'm asking you to do this as a sign of love, the love of Jesus in you, even to somebody that you might not love. In other words, if I'm going to do the right things for the right reasons, there are times that I've got to do it out of love, not just for the person, but for the Jesus who died on the cross for me, even if I really don't like the person even if they've done something to hurt me or harm me. I'm going to add a caveat in here. This doesn't excuse what the person might have done. This doesn't ignore it or write it off. All it is is an acknowledgement that even though they may not love me, I'm going to do the right thing for the right reasons because I have a different kind of love in my heart. That's part of the testimony of Christ. I've been transformed by the power of Christ, and I can show love even if they don't deserve it. I can show love even if they don't give it to me. I can show love because I have a different love in me, the love of Jesus. Those who do the right thing for the right reasons... They have love. Okay, we can take that shameless picture off the screen and talk about priority too. There's a second priority here. Not only the priority of love, those who do the right thing for the right reasons, they also have a priority on relationships. Look down at verse 10. It says, I appeal to you for my child, whom I fathered while in chains, Onesimus, useful. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful 
to both you and me. I am sending him a part of myself back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. Paul's talking about a relationship here. Down in verse 17, he says, if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. He's talking about relationships. But notice here, this word, this name that is given to this slave, which was given long before he ever became a servant, a bondservant, a slave in the house of Philemon. His name is Useful, Useful, Onesimus. But you know, there's even a flaw with that kind of idea, that name of naming somebody Useful. Because it implies that a person, another person, is there for our use. We even use this phrase in describing somebody who does something wrong to us. You used me. That's not a very favorable statement to say to somebody. You used me. Because somewhere in our core being, we understand, somewhere as a follower of Christ, we understand that relationships are far more important than tasks. Relationships are always more important than tasks. Let me say it again, because I'm not sure that we really believe this and we build it into our core. Because when we look at things that need to be done, things in our church, things in our home, things in our workplace, when we look at things that need to be done, we kind of wallow in those things and we try to pull people in to make sure that the task gets done regardless of how it affects the person or what their need may be in the process. But relationships are always more important than things. Not convinced? Here, let me explain. Do you think that God could spread his gospel, write it by the finger of his very hand in the clouds above where every person on the face of this planet could read up in the sky, Jesus loves you? Signed? Jesus. Do you think that God could do that in English, French, Spanish, Hindu, do it in every language, everywhere across the face of the earth? Could God spread his word better than you? Do you think he could do this? Yeah, of course he could. God could do this far better than I can. Why doesn't he? Because in this relationship of father to child, he wants to build this connection where I share this gospel-transforming power and message because of the relationship that we've built and the love that I have for him as I've experienced the love that he has for me, and from that be able to share. The relationship is more important than the task getting the message out. It's always been that way in Scripture. Paul recognizes that, and he says to Philemon, hey, Onesimus, useful. He might not be useful to you right now. He's been kind of useless for a while. But the use 
is irrelevant. The relationship is now different. He's a child of the Father just as you're a child of the Father. And because of that, I'm asking you to do the right thing for the right reason. Those who do this, those who do the right thing for the right reason, have the priority of relationship first. We have the priority of love. We have the priority of relationships. And we have the priority of respect. Look down at verse 14. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation but of your own free will. See, one of the statements that Paul makes here to Philemon is, I respect you. I could have made you do this. I could have shamed you into doing this. But I have too much respect for you. I'm going to do the right thing for the right reasons with you, Philemon, and I'm asking you to do the right thing for the right reasons in regard to Onesimus out of respect. Just as I respect you, I'm asking you to do, show respect to him. You know, in the um, devotional book, Guideposts, Guideposts has several different um, contributors to their devotional magazine. One of the contributors who contributed a story several years back, her name was Joanne Jones. Joanne Jones wrote this little devotional for a guidebook. She said, during my second year of nursing school, our professor gave us a pop quiz. I breezed through all the questions until I read the last one, which said, what is the first name of the woman who cleans our classroom?" every night. She said, surely I thought this was some kind of joke. I'd seen the cleaning woman several times, but how would I know her name? I handed in my paper, leaving the last question blank. Before the class ended, one student asked if the last question would count toward our grade. Absolutely, the professor said. In your careers, you will meet many people. Every one of them is significant. They deserve your attention and care, even if all you do is smile and say hello. She said, I've never forgotten that lesson. And by the way, I also learned her name was Dorothy. Respect. Those who do the right thing for the right reasons have a priority of respect. Paul says to Philemon, I respect you. I could make you do this, but I'm not going to make you. I'm going to appeal to you. I'm going to ask you to show the same respect that I'm showing you. What are the priorities? The priority of love, the priority of relationships, the priority of respect, and also the priority of perspective. Priority of perspective. Now, Paul tries to share a little perspective with Philemon here. Verse 15, for perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently. Maybe part of the reason why Onesimus ran away and the Lord allowed him to run away was so that you could get him back and you could have him back, not just here in this life, but you could have him back as a brother for all eternity. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave as a dearly loved brother. This is especially so to me, but even more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Those who do the right thing for the right reasons have the priority of perspective. A perspective just means that we see things from a little different viewpoint. Perspective is something 
that can be hard to get, but it is just a different way of looking at the same situation. That's what Paul was asking of Philemon. Hey, Onesimus, who has been useless to you, Onesimus, who you see as a runaway slave, as a thief, Onesimus really is useful in the gospel. Onesimus has been caring for me. Onesimus has helped me through one of the darkest times in my life, and I just want to give you a little different perspective. Perspective is a hard thing to get, but once you have it, it's a little bit easier to describe. I don't know, uh, you know, one of my favorite movies through the years has been um, Lord of the Rings. And, and part of the reason why I like that is because I, I read the books when I was a child. I, re- I read the book, The Lord of the Rings, the trilogy. And um, one of the things that you always heard about the Lord of the Rings, whether you like it or not, you know, the book or not, one of the things that you always heard was that nobody could ever make this into a movie because it would be too daunting a task. How do you have, as the book describes, how do you have full-grown human beings standing next to adult hobbits, little people? Well, the producer of the Lord of the Rings movie had a novel idea. His name was Peter Jackson, and he approached this, the filming of this series from an entirely different perspective. He, he, he wanted to force perspective on the audience. And so early on in the Lord of the Rings movie, you see this scene where Bilbo, I mean, where Frodo comes running down and he jumps into the wagon that Gandalf is sitting in. And Gandalf is a fully grown adult human being, and and Frodo is a fully grown hobbit who is only about three feet tall. How do you put that in perspective? Well, here's how they did that. As you look at this picture, this is actually a cart where Gandalf is sitting in a seat, and he is almost three feet closer to the camera than where Frodo is sitting in the cart. And so you've got Gandalf who's sitting here. And you got Frodo, who's sitting back here, and because he's farther away from the camera, he looks smaller, but the seams of the cart look the same, and so you have to take the post that he's sitting next to, and you have to make it bigger so that in the eyes of the camera, it looks the same size as the post on the other side, and it's called forced perspective, so that you, me, in the audience, we see what the producer wants us to see. We see this fully grown human being who's about 5'8 or 5'9 and only a few inches shorter than the character who played Gandalf. We see him as three feet tall compared to six feet tall. There is an issue that we in the church need to undertake today. Somewhere in here, we need to have a little forced perspective. I would pray, I would hope that somewhere in the discussion, in the culture that we have in the church today, I would hope that somewhere along the way, the Lord would begin forcing us to see other people as his creation, that he would force us to see that they are created in the image of God, that he would begin to force us to see how hurtful and hateful some of the language that we use about other people has become. We don't describe people as people in the image of God anymore. We describe them based on their ethnic group, based on their actions, based on their religion, and much of the words that we use are vitriolic and hateful. And it's time we changed our perspective. It's time that we started to see people a little differently today. That's what Paul is appealing to Philemon about. Philemon, I know he hurt you. I know that he stole from you. I know that he ran away from you. But I'm telling you now, he is a brother in Christ and he has been forgiven of those things. 
just as you were. And it's time for you to change your perspective. Those who do the right thing for the right reasons have perspective. One last thing. Those who do the right thing for the right reasons understand part of what's at the core of reconciliation. Verse 18, Paul says, If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me even your own self. Now notice here, Paul did not say, if he owes you anything, just forgive it. If he's done anything wrong, just overlook it. If he has taken anything from you, if you, if you consider that he has wronged you and he has a debt that is, that is given to you, he doesn't say, just write it off. Paul doesn't say that. He says, if he has wronged you, if he's indebted to you, I will pay it. If he's got a debt, and this is a debt that you're going to hold to him, I just want you to understand, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bring this reconciliation into place. I'm not saying that what he did was okay. I'm saying that if he has a debt, I'm willing to help pay that debt because it is this meaningful to me. It means this much to me to see you two reconciled in Christ. Those who do the right thing for the right reasons understand that at the heart of all of this, at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of everything that we are about as believers is reconciliation. Reconciling people to the Lord and reconciling those who have come to know the Lord with each other. Paul says, I'll pay it. I'll take that debt on. I'll do whatever it takes. He's come to faith now. He's received the forgiveness of Christ. If he owes you something, I'll help him pay it. Because this relationship is more important. Because the love that I have for him and the love that I have for you is more important. Because my perspective has been changed. And finally, I want your perspective to be changed as well. And this has to be a priority. Just as I'm showing you respect, not commanding you, asking you, Finally, let me show him respect too. Because this reconciliation is the most important thing that can happen. Now, what does all that mean for us? Well, I think you're able to see part of this message that's here for us. What is it that really motivates us in our relationship with other people? Is it because they're useful? Those people that I work with, people that I serve with in church, in my community? Do I look at them wondering how useful they might be? Or do I have the love and respect that the Lord calls on me to have? Do I have the perspective to see that they're made in the image of God, and though they may have drifted away, though they may not know the Lord, though they may even be antagonistic towards the Lord, I'm still called to love them. And my goal the task that I've been given is to reconcile them however I can with the transforming power of the gospel.
I'm going to ask you to take a moment this morning. Just bow your heads with me. In just a moment, we're going to sing a closing song. Maybe there's some response that you want to make privately, right where you are, or publicly, down front here. But I want to prompt you with just a question or two. Are you just loving, are you only loving those who love you? Do we look at people wondering what they can do for us rather than what we can do for them? Have we lost our perspective here? And so much is what Christ has called us to do. He said he came to seek and save that which was lost. Is that my task? Today, I believe the Lord is calling us to change our priorities, to align them anew to his priorities. Love. respect, reconciliation, and this day, Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn our eyes and our hearts to you to see what steps we need to take to change the priorities in our lives. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior.